Hello and welcome to Top in Tech, a Global Council podcast. Today is the final episode of 2023, and we're going to return to a familiar theme of AI policy and regulation. While all of the attention in recent weeks has been on the EU's AI Act, we want to hop back to the other side of the Atlantic to assess where the Biden administration has got to on AI regulation. In early November, the same week as the UK's AI Safety Summit, the Biden administration issued its executive order on AI and also announced it was going to establish an AI Safety Institute. So now we're a couple of months on from them, I think it's timely to assess where these initiatives have got to. To take us through it today is Agonma Wankwo, who is based in GC's Washington DC office and who leads our analysis of US AI policy. So Agonma, thank you very much for joining me today. So just to set the scene uh, for those who are listening, can you tell us about the AI executive order? What is it about and why is it significant on the international stage? Thanks, Conan. So on October 30th, the White House released its executive order on safe, secure, and trustworthy AI. And the document is very ambitious. And although it focuses on directing the activities of federal agencies, its effects will be felt across multiple sectors and industries, including healthcare, financial services, immigration, tech, and and so on. And even though the executive order you know, cannot create new laws or regulations on its own, it can certainly trigger the beginning of such processes. Now, the order instructs federal agencies involved to advance key policy objectives, including in ensuring AI's safety and security, promoting responsible innovation or competition, supporting workers, uh, protecting consumer interests, promoting global cooperation when it comes to AI governance. So a lot of the themes that we're already familiar with. So over the course of 2024, we're going to see the order implemented across agencies, uh, largely in the form of creating standards and technical guidelines, which in some cases will actually impact the private sector. And it's really important to note that the order builds on the foundations laid by the Blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights and NIST's uh, AI Risk Management Framework, which both pulled on the input from civil society, academia, and industry. But the order also builds on the voluntary commitments made by over a dozen leading tech companies earlier this year in meetings with the White House. And so given that these are the building blocks of the order, it's probably unsurprising that the order actually calls for a society-wide effort that includes government, the private sector, academia, and civil society to essentially realize the benefits of AI while uh, mitigating some of the harms. And to your question on why this is significant on the global stage, I think that In many ways, the administration sees the executive order as sending a message that the U.S. plans to be a leader in both creating and governing AI. And this is a message not just aimed at Washington and Silicon Valley, but it's also very much so aimed at other jurisdictions that are leading the space, such as London and and Brussels. And of course, it's a response to the growing competition AI development from China. And as you know, the executive order was released a day or two before the UK AI Safety Summit. And I would argue that that was really an indicator that the US is trying to lead with substance and trying to engage with other countries with substance. So what I mean by that is that the order is a practical governance tool that essentially lays out the administration's vision for AI governance that the president and his team can then take to the world and try to pitch for 
um, bilateral and multilateral buy-in. I think it's had some of the impact that the Biden administration clearly wanted, Agoma. When I talk to people in London, at least, there is a growing narrative that because the UK hasn't come forward with much of a follow-up to its AI white paper, which was issued in the spring this year, that not only has the UK fallen behind Brussels, which is the common refrain, but also that the UK has fallen behind Washington uh, and the executive order. Now, whether there's truth in that or not, given there are certain parallels and similarities to the UK and the US and approaches here, sort of doesn't really matter. As a perception and as a marker and as a symbol, it's clearly been quite effective, at least uh, in a UK political discourse. But you mentioned there how the executive order works and how it's going to be implemented by, I think, more than 20 federal agencies. It's a little bit of a blizzard of activity to those who aren't really familiar with it. So what exactly should we be looking out for? What should companies be paying attention to in the coming weeks and months? Are there particular agencies, whether that's the FTC or others, who have been charged with particular new responsibilities that we should be looking out for? There are quite a few different aspects of the order that stakeholders should pay attention to. And of course, this will vary depending on their particular industry. But I would say that there are two key aspects of the order that really stand out to me. So first, I would say that the majority of the questions that I received from companies have been focused on the direction to the Commerce Secretary to impose notification requirements on dual-use foundation models that meet certain computing uh, power thresholds. And what the White House did was to invoke the Defense Production, Production Act of 1950, which are essentially federal emergency powers, which often, um, which are often used for national security purposes. And in this case, they've invoked it to require the developers of some of the most powerful AI models to notify the government of any developments or work that might constitute a risk to the public's health, safety, or national security. And this would include things like red, red team safety tests that developers must undertake before any AI application goes public. So basically, the reporting requirements will apply to models that are trained on greater than 10 to the 26th power floating point operations. And even though I'm not a data scientist or a software engineer, I have had a few conversations with technical experts who have said that the threshold that's been set far exceeds the training power and computing power that is required to train the current model or current generation of large language models. So in my view, this is really the Biden, Biden administration setting its eyes on the next generation of models before they're released to the public. And so this is an area that AI companies developing models need to pay attention to, particularly what this could mean for them if and when they exceed the preset, the preset threshold, but also remains to be seen if this reporting mechanism is meant to just improve the transparency or whether the government might actually take action if a model were found to be unsafe. Um, also, the Commerce Secretary has been tasked with defining the AI models that are sufficiently dangerous to qualify for these requirements. So we could very well see in the coming months these thresholds shift and computational power may not be used as a proxy for the model's capabilities, which I think is what policymakers are, are really concerned about. There's one interesting point of consistency with the EU's approach of one major point of departure that came up in my mind as you were talking there, Agomba, 
on the first point, this threshold around compute power, it, that obviously came in the executive order. And then if media reports are to be believed in the deal that was struck between the EU institutions on the AI Act, there is a similar sounding compute power threshold. I think, it, again, if media reports are to be believed, we'll need to see the final text before we know for certain. The implication there was, again, it's quite forward looking. I think maybe only ChatGBT4 would be captured within the EU's remit at the moment. All other models would be uh, lower compute power than that. The point of departure, though, and this is one you'll be familiar with, Agoma, from our conversations around things like the EU-US data transfer framework and the privacy shield that was struck down before, is this distinction in the legal framework, that between an executive order and primary legislation. And obviously on the EU side, this is going to be primary legislation, hard law coming out of the legislative process here. Whereas the executive order is obviously at the discretion of the president of the day. So it's interesting to explore that a little bit further, Agonma, and whether you think the executive order might actually spur legislation in Congress as we're starting to see this process rolled out across different agencies. At a high level, I think the executive order will help to further drive the momentum on the issue of AI that um, that we're seeing. And so that momentum, broadly speaking, will encourage lawmakers to act on a lot of the issues that have been targeted in the order. So things like bias and discrimination, content authentication, transparency, privacy, and so on. And one of the great things about the order is that Congress doesn't necessarily need to start from scratch. Right. They can use the executive order as a foundation and build on it. But to get really specific where I think the executive order might clearly influence legislation in very practical and technical ways is on the standards that the National Institutes of Standards and Technology, also known as NIST, will set. So taking a step back, most of this year in Congress, we've seen efforts to learn and to understand where AI technology is going and to get a better sense of what types of regulatory approaches might facilitate continued innovation while mitigating some of the harms. So, of course, Senator Schumer's uh, AI Insights Forums has been a key way to make sure that senators are actually up to speed on all elements of the AI policy conversation. But at the end of the day, lawmakers aren't the subject matter experts. And so what the executive order has done is that it has provided the Commerce Secretary with extensive responsibilities to set technical standards and reporting obligations that are building on the existing standards work of NIST. And this is important because the standards work that the Commerce Department is going to do will ultimately inform the legislative process in the sense that it will give lawmakers clear targets to hit rather than having to grapple with a lot of nebulous concepts that have come to define the AI space and that we're trying to see lawmakers currently try to pack into legislation. So I think what we're going to see lawmakers do is try to legislate towards a type of enforceable standard with the help of the com the experts at Commerce and NIST. And so all of this sounds good and well, but I do think that we could see some clashes between lawmakers and administration, particularly where funding is required, right? There are a lot of unfunded mandates in the order. And to my knowledge, appropriations discussions haven't been had, um, at least not in depth. And so generally speaking, 
there are aspects of the order that are not incredibly expensive and should be able to be achieved with existing resources and appropriate funds that an agency has. But in other areas, particularly where they will need to scale up their efforts, then yes, they will need more funding and that funding will need to be appropriated from Congress. So NIST and Commerce have been given a lot of new responsibilities, but it doesn't seem like they have been given additional federal funding for these efforts. So this is an area where we could see a lot of headwinds and we could see this impede the activities of agencies. And to give another example, two days after issuing the executive order, the Commerce Department was directed to establish the U.S. AI Safety Institute to lead the government's efforts on AI safety and trust particularly as it pertains to evaluating some of the most advanced AI models, as you referenced um, in your opening. And the Institute has several objectives, including operational, operationalizing this AI risk management framework, developing technical guidance for regulators who are considering rulemaking and enforcement on AI, um, collaborating with the UK's AI Safety Institute, and so on. But how it'll be funded is still an open question. And this is really a recurrent theme in U.S. politics, I think. You can pass legislation or establish an institute, but where the money will be appropriated and how much in many ways is where I think the real headwinds begin, especially in the current political environment. So these funding challenges seem a pretty big deal considering how ambitious the executive order is, at least as you've been describing it to us just now. Given it relies on getting approval for funding in Congress, what's your assessment of the ability of these forms of action within Congress or indeed other AI legislation succeeding in the near term? You talked about the Schumer Initiative. Sounds, at least on the surface, there's a lot of attention here and a lot of political momentum behind doing something. But is that really really how it's playing out in Congress? Should we expect action to happen anytime soon? I'll start by looking at this at a high level, particularly the dynamics that we're seeing in both houses of Congress. So as I mentioned earlier, and you just alluded to, um, Chuck Schumer has been having his AI insight forums to educate senators on AI. And the ultimate objective of this is to have a more formal and informed legislative process that will be led by committees in the Senate. So there's been a lot more clarity at the high level around what's going to be happening in the Senate, even though there are a lot of different ideas, approaches, and frameworks being suggested by different senators. I would say that the House has been more unpredictable for a lot of reasons, and it's not always clear who the decision makers actually are. So if we're looking at Congress as a whole and its ability to act, um, that's largely going to depend in part on where the House eventually lands a lot of a lot of these AI questions um, and where there's going to be agreement between the two chambers. But to go a bit deeper, despite broad support for AI legislation, there are different groups forming that are trying to influence the landscape. And these don't necessarily cut neatly across political parties. So you have lawmakers who focus on issues largely related to civil rights, bias, job loss, and so on. And then you have lawmakers who are primarily interested in some of these more existential risks that AI poses to humanity. And then you have lawmakers who are mostly concerned about the national security implications of AI. 
And then, of course, there are those who want more narrow, targeted and immediate uh, measures to address uh, issues like AI deleted misinformation around political ads. Uh, and then you have lawmakers who want more comprehensive legislation that could potentially mirror what we've seen in in the EU. And so, as you can see, there are a lot of different factions that are forming that will make it incredibly challenging to actually pass le legislation across both chambers. But if you are thinking about AI legislation that could move forward in the near term, I think the most likely area where this is likely to occur is on issues uh, related to national security in China. So policies targeting competition with China generally have broad bipartisan support among some of the more progressives in the House and Senate, as well as true China hawks who are pushing for the U.S. to go even further on some of the actions on China. And so to go back to this funding conversation, actually, Senator Schumer, after the second AI Insight Forum back in October, expressed his interest in eventually getting to $32 billion in annual AI R&D federal funding. And so this is a very large number, not to mention that he described the funding target as a floor rather than ceiling. It's a very ambitious target, especially given that the funding challenges that we, we discussed earlier. But I think that this ambition is rooted in competition with China. And so if this continues to be the framing, I do think that Schumer could see some success. And this goes for a lot of the other AI initiatives in Congress. They're most likely to see success if the initiative targets or plays on their concerns over China. So national security and China are issues that I think that are going to cut through the noise. So this is a familiar pattern we've seen in other aspects of US tech policy. If competition with China is, is apparent and is obvious, then it can be a driver for both Republicans and Democrats to legislate and to generate approvals for large sums of money which to do so. So we'll see if that happens here. Another familiar pattern of GOMA in US tech policy is that while Congress is bunged up and often can't pass things, state level legislatures don't have that problem and often passing laws, sometimes which are actually contradictory with each other. So is that happening in AI in the same way it's been happening with privacy? States have been very active on AI legislation this year, trying to fill the void that's been left by Congress. So this year, state legislators introduced over 180 AI-related bills, but Despite this high number, only about 14 or 15 of those became law, though I do actually foresee the number for both the number of bills introduced and the number of bills passed in 2024 increasing. Now, these bills were focused on different topics, such as how state governments will use AI, impact assessments, enhancing transparency, deepfakes and generative AI. And while these were more targeted pieces of legislation, we did see California attempt to create a comprehensive AI regulatory framework. So looking ahead to 2024, it will be interesting to see how the executive order might influence the legislative actions of states and what types of standards they might put in place, right? Will we see the order, will states see the order as direction setting and choose to ultimately align their policies with these documents? It's yet to be seen. But also looking to next year, I think that everyone should keep an eye on California, in part because their tech legislation often serves as a basis for legislation in other states. But the state is actually expected to have a major legislative push targeting AI harms related, related to things like job loss, 
workers' privacy, election misinformation, public safety, algorithmic decision-making, and so on. But even though California has a supermajority Democratic legislature, some of these efforts will face immense industry pushback. So we will see this interesting tension persist between Sacramento and Silicon Valley that will be extremely interesting to monitor to see how it ultimately plays out. We did an event last week with our senior advisor, Tom Wheeler, who's former chair of the FCC, and he argued that the state dynamic is probably the most critical factor here, and that while he thinks we're a little way off comprehensive digital regulation within the US, that actually that dynamic that you've just described there at GOMA, whereby we're getting different states doing different things and where they're really taking the initiative might ultimately change the incentives for technology companies who may see the rationale behind having a federal level law in order to ward off uh, uh, ward off all these different state initiatives and having to comply with different rules in different places. And that he saw parallels there with the industrial gilded age and a similar dynamic. So look, thanks very much for taking us uh, through that today. Uh, for those who have been uh, listened to this episode, Thanks very much for listening this year. We will have our next episode on the 4th of January, where we will look ahead to the five big themes that we expect to dominate tech policy headlines throughout the course of 2024. So have a nice Christmas uh, between now and then, and hopefully you'll join for some episodes through the course of next year as well. Bye-bye.